0: great time with this series. Amen. And so uh, today we want to talk about faith. We want to talk about faith. Uh, uh, chapter eight of second Corinthians which has been the subject of this series. Paul says in verse six and following he says so we urged Titus since he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. And just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So today we want to just talk about this whole idea of excelling in our faith excelling in faith. Paul spoke to the church. He said, just as you excel in faith, let's talk about what this looks like. Now, so let me start by asking a question. Have, have you checked out recently, have you recently checked out the members of the United States Supreme Court? Taking a look at who comprises uh, the Supreme Court. There, there are nine justices that make up the Supreme Court, one of the branches, the the, the, the very top of one of the branches of government, the judicial branch. And these nine justices are Chief Justice John Roberts, and then there are eight associate justices, Anthony Scalia, Anthony Kennedy, Clarence Thomas, Ruth Ginsburg, Stephen Beyer, Samuel Alito, Sonia Sotomayor, and Elena Kagan make up what we know as our Supreme Court. Coincidentally, all nine of these justices attended either Harvard or Yale Law School. Each of these justices has excelled to the highest point point in our court system. And without exception, It took a great deal of hard work, strategy, relationship building, and focus in order to achieve this. For others who are part of the court, at the time of their birth, the odds were stacked against them ever becoming a member of the Supreme Court. And in addition to hard work and sacrifice and strategy, it also took a great deal of faith. Justice Sonia Sotomayor, Ellen Kagan. No other women and no Hispanics had ever served on the Supreme Court until Sandra Day O'Connor was appointed in 1991. And so these two women... um, had to combine all of these other things, hard work, strategy, perseverance, but also faith. The reason they needed faith is because for most of their lives, there were not any women and no Hispanics that had ever served on the Supreme Court. Now, the scriptures say that faith, is the substance of things hoped for. And it indeed is the evidence of things that are not seen. And these women pursued an object that had never happened before, an objective that had never occurred. So, excelling is not just about besting one's competitors. Excelling, and you may want to write this down, excelling is about setting a previously unattained standard and refusing to relent until that standard is realized. It's not just about beating your competition but it's about somehow setting for yourself a standard and not relenting until that standard is realized. There is no such thing as a better life. As we talk about pursuing this better life, and the 10 steps, there's no such thing as a better life if there is no interest in excelling. The spiritual life is the same. Now, spiritual does not mean invisible. Somebody say amen. Spiritual means the fundamentals that are essential for the type of life that God would have us to live. Paul commends the Corinthian church as they excelled in so many different things spiritually. But they did not excel at giving, which is also a spiritual characteristic though uh, they were commended for their exceptional giftedness, and Paul spends a major part of his letter discussing the gifts of the Corinthian church. Um, The writer takes extra effort to indicate that the litmus test for a better life is not how many gifts we have, but how we use those gifts. The gifts that we have are tools that God has given us to express generosity. And in the end, we are not judged by how much we gain and gather for ourselves, but we are judged by how much we gain and give away to others. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, just as you excel in everything in faith, speech, knowledge, Complete earnestness and in your love for us, uh, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. To excel at giving requires faith. Um, Faith is one of the Bible's primary topics. Uh, We do not come to know God by knowledge. Amen. No no one comes to know God by by knowledge. Uh, We we come to know God by faith. No matter how much you say, I know that I know that I know that I know that I know, it is not by your knowledge that you know God, but it is by faith that we know God. And our faith in God is grounded in our experiences with him and in the Holy Scriptures. If you're new uh, today to to the fountain or even new to church environment, I want to let you know that most people of God have their favorite faith scriptures. Yeah, for example, some people like this verse, Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, where uh, Jesus says, if you have faith, As the grain of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. There are others um, whose favorite verse is this, consequently, faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God or the messages heard through the word of Christ. Others like this verse, that I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course, and I have kept the faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, And so all of us, you know, who are believers and church people, most of us have our favorite faith scripture. I I like this particular verse. Fred Price used to always close his service with this verse, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we we have this. Now, we can never be truly generous if we have to have, if the requirement is to be 100% certain of the outcomes before we give. There are some people who won't give because they don't have enough evidence to give them 100% certainty that the outcome is going to match up with their intention. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong, there's a place for caution, there's a place for scrutiny, there's a place for reporting, there's a place for certitude. But if we are to excel in the grace of giving, we must be willing to give and take steps of faith. Most of the people in Scripture that did great things, they did it not by certainty, they did it by faith. They had no guarantees. There was no certainty. And most of them began their lives and their walks with God with little faith. And their faith grew to stronger faith. I don't know if there's any such thing as more faith, but I do know that there is weak faith and there is strong faith. Well, you see, God has already told us we don't need a lot of faith. But what we, he wants us to do is to use the faith that we have. Now, one of the ways of developing our faith, and this is the first point on our worksheet, is to refer to examples of faith. To refer to examples of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us a list of men and women who made steps of faith towards a better life. After discussing the writer, Uh, after he discusses the lives of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and how they did great things by faith for God, the writer gives us some additional examples starting in verse 32. And so in verse 32 of chapter 11 of Hebrews, he says this, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weaknesses were turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings while others still were chained and put in prisons. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. But look at verse 39. But these were commended for their faith. Yeah. These are examples of persons who had their backs against the wall who were counted out, who had overwhelming odds against them, who had setback after setback after setback, and yet they refused to focus on the setbacks. They refused to believe what they could see, and they trusted in God. Moses was told by God, check this out, God told Moses, he said, I want you to confront the king of Egypt and tell him to let my people go. Moses uh, did not focus on the magnitude of the assignment or the power that Pharaoh had, but Moses put his trust in God. God told Gideon, and this is a great story. You should read it, the sixth and seventh chapters of the book of Judges. You should read it when you get a chance. God told Gideon, he said, Gideon, I want you to defeat the Midianites. Now, the Midianites were kicking butt and, t- and taking names. They were, they, 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 were, they were tearing up everything and no one could overcome them and, and the people of Israel doubted the power of God because they saw no miracles like they had heard in their history. Nothing like the Red Sea, nothing like manna and when they were asking the question, well, if God is so powerful and if God is with us, where are the miracles that our foreparents talked about? We don't see any deliverance. We don't see any sign of God's power. Have you ever felt like that before? You're praying, you're fasting, you're reading the Bible, and yet things around you seem to be falling apart, and it just makes us kind of ask the question, even if we don't say it out loud. Well, God, where are you? I heard about what you can do. Somebody told me about what you did in, in their life, but I see no evidence in my life of the power that has been proclaimed by others. And so he tells Gideon, he said, Gideon, I want you to defeat the Midianites. And Gideon had what I call justifiable objectives, objections. He said this to God. He said, God, listen, the Midianites, they're some bad jokers. He said, they're not going to be easy to beat. He said, we've been subjected to them for some time now. We have not been able to overcome them. He said, on top of that, he said, I'm from a very small tribe. You see, because the way wars were fought back then, when if you represented your tribe, your tribe went out to fight with you. He said, I'm from a very small tribe. And not only that, I'm from a very small clan in my tribe. He said, so I don't see where I stand a ghost of a chance of defeating the Midianites because we're so small. So God says to Gideon, I'm going to teach you a lesson about small. And so he told Gideon, he said, I want you to gather up your your soldiers. And he he gathered his soldiers and he had 32,000 soldiers. So God says to him he says what I want you to do I want you to announce to all the soldiers that whoever is afraid they can go home right now. And so 22,000 of them went home now. That's just just to say this. Don't get all excited just because you have a big crowd. I wish I had somebody say amen. Don't, don't, you, don't let your head get too big because you have a big crowd following you and everybody says you. When, when he announced everybody who's afraid, who doesn't want to get killed, who's afraid you're not going to ever see a loved one, go on back home. That reduced the army from 32,000 down to 10,000. God said, I'm going to teach you a lesson about small. And then he said, he said, what I want you to do, take everybody to the river for them to start drinking some water. And I will tell you which ones I want to go. And which ones will stay. And so God said all those who drink water by bending on one knee, they can go home. Everybody who takes water in their hand and laps it out of their hand like a dog, I want them to go with you on the battle. And it reduced the army from 10,000 down to 300. And what God did, he put Gideon in a position where based on the numbers, it was impossible for him to win. But I'm just dropped by here to tell you this morning that things that look impossible with man are possible with God. It does not matter what the odds look like. It doesn't matter what they're saying out in Vegas. It does not matter if God is for you. Who can be against you? If God is on your side and Gideon defeated the Midianites, not with 32,000 soldiers, not with 22,000, not with 10,000, with 300 soldiers, God gave him the victory. God gave him a lesson in small because I heard a songwriter say, little becomes much when you place it in the master's hand. Yes, and so God can do great things. You know, David was in a very similar situation. And you should look to these examples of faith. David knew that Goliath was the undisputed, undefeated, heavyweight champion of the Philistines. The entire Israelite army was afraid of him. But David, listen, he didn't know, but David believed that the God who helped him defeat a lion and the God who also helped him defeat a bear, he believed that the same God that gave him victory in the past would give him victory over this undefeated, undisputed heavyweight champion. In other words, having not been done before does not mean that God cannot do it through you. And see, we can excel in our faith by learning from others who lack knowledge and experience, but we're strong in their faith in God. Secondly, for your worksheet, you want to resist the enemies of faith. Yes, you want to resist the enemies of faith. I, I want to sh- share a couple of them with you. One, Disobedience is an enemy of faith because disobedience will disqualify you from receiving the end reward. Uh Hebrews chapter four verse one and two says therefore since the promise of entering his rest still stands let us be careful somebody say careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it for we have also had the gospel for we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message that they heard was of no value because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Yeah, yeah. Now, the phrase here, you have found to have fallen short of it, you be, you be have found or to fall short of it is a direct reference to disobedience. Yeah, failure to obey God can have very dire consequences. Somebody should say amen. Can I tell you something here? If you have big goals and big dreams and big vision for your life, the bigger the prize, the greater the need for obedience. I wish I had somebody say amen. In other words, disobedience to God is always traced back to a lack of faith. Yeah, it is the act of, see, this is what it is. See, disobedience is the act of deciding that I cannot achieve or I cannot survive or I cannot handle the situation unless I take matters into my own hands and do it the way I want to do it. Are y'all feeling me? In other words, obedience uh, does not always feel like it's working. <laughs> yeah, and, and obedience is, does not even always feel like it's fulfilling. Let me see if I can illustrate this. When I was, when my dad was still alive, my dad spent a great deal of his adult life overweight. Now, he loved to eat. That's the culture of my family, the culture of my community. We, we love to eat in my family and, and, in, and in my community. So my dad, my dad loved to travel. He, he's probably, he traveled all over the world, all over the United States. But when my dad traveled, it didn't matter whether he went to Rome, whether he went to Paris, whether he went to Atlanta, Georgia. If he went to Atlanta, Georgia and you talked to him about the trip, he wasn't going to tell you about the King Center. He was not going to tell you about Fulton County Stadium. He wasn't going to, going to tell you if he went to Paris about the Eiffel Tower or the Louvre. He wasn't going to tell you in Rome about the Colosseum. What my dad was going to report on was the food that he ate wherever he went. Now, I mean, I mean, he spent thousands of dollars to travel and to see these things. But when he had a conversation with you about his trip, the primary subject of his conversation was the food that he ate and that he ate wherever he went. Now, his pressure could be up. You know, his cholesterol could be up. But it, it didn't matter. And my dad had this saying. After he ate a great meal, what he called a great meal, this is what he would say. He said, oh, man, that hit the spot. And and so, and so it didn't matter. You know, it really didn't matter. You know, doctors, you know, got all kind of pills, all kind of medication, got instructions from the doctor, but he is still, for him to eat, he had already convinced himself that eating was not worth eating if it did not hit the spot. If my dad went to an affair, he was a leader in his community, had a lot of events to go to. If he went to an affair or an event and the food was marginal, my dad would leave the affair on his way home and he would stop by Kentucky Fried Chicken and he would eat that chicken on his way home while he was driving. And if you were in the passenger seat, you'd say, oh man, that really hit the what? Hit the spot. Well, there are many of us here today who uh, try obeying God, but obeying God does not Hit the spot for us. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We, 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 we try. We make a stab at obeying God. We take make a stab at doing what God says do. But when we do what God says do, it does not hit the spot. It didn't hit my money spot, doesn't hit my ego spot, doesn't hit my ladder climbing spot, doesn't hit my sex spot. It did not hit the spot. But let me tell you something. Disobedience many times will hit the spot, but it will also derail your life. It will disrupt your blessings. Uh, It will curse uh, uh, the gifts that God has given to you. Obedience may feel like it's missing the spot, but in the long run, it will bless you. Can I get a witness in here? In other words, to do what God says may not have immediate gratification, but it will have long-term benefit in our life. Secondly, another enemy of faith is doubt. Why? Because doubt disguises possibility as impossibility. Yeah, doubt will make you think, That something that is possible with God is absolutely categorically impossible for you. It says in Matthew chapter 13 verse 58, and he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. In this passage, the people did not believe that there was anything special about Jesus. They had reduced Jesus to only being the son of Mary. And the son of Joseph when in actuality Jesus is more than the son of Mary and he's more than the son of Joseph they had reduced him to simply being humanity just like them they had embraced his humanity but rejected his divinity and I and I and I just stopped by here today to tell you that when divinity is in your presence that you need to treat divinity in a different way than you treat humanity if Jesus is in the in the presence and if Jesus is in your midst if you don't know you need to Ask somebody. I wish uh, has, you, you need to ask somebody. You need to recognize who's present in your midst, because the one who is present can I go a little old school on you? He can open doors that no man can open for you, and the one who is in your presence, he can close some doors that no man can close. The one who is in your presence, I'm telling you, the doctor can be frustrated over your medical condition, but there's still a pharmacy in the hem of his garment, and he can heal your diseases he can save your family he can bless your life you got to recognize divinity when it's in your presence and doubting Jesus, doubting who he is is an enemy of faith Jesus is the divine son of God he's God in the flesh and see this is a warning to us not to allow our unanswered questions, hallelujah, to prevent us from believing in God. Yeah, if you're really living, you're going to have some unanswered questions. A young man, a man brought his son to Jesus one day to heal and the the boy was not healed after much prayer. Disciples trying to heal and he still was sick. Jesus said, well, do you believe? He said, yeah, I do. But if I'm honest, I got some unanswered questions. I don't know. I've tried everything I know to do. But in spite of my unanswered questions, Jesus, I'm going to still put my trust in you. I'm going to trust you though the medicine didn't work. I'm going to trust you the counseling didn't work. I'm going to trust you the program didn't work. I'm going to trust you uh, my grace and my my love to this boy didn't work. I'm going to trust you. Yeah, even though I have some unanswered questions. Another enemy of faith is distractions. Distractions. Uh, Tim, would you help me please? Would you bring those, those balls? Um, I need some help real quick. Who's kind of athletic? Some, who, who's a good athlete? Good athlete. Somebody's a good athlete. Well, anybody used to be a good athlete then. <laughs> I know some of y'all here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Lord, this guy, I don't know if I can do it with him. He is a superior athlete. Okay. All right, come on, Wayne. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on. All right, Commissioner Messer, what I want you to do, I'm going to give you a tennis ball, right? Now, can you, can you, can you juggle these? You can try. All right, just try one. That's let the congregation see. Just do one. Throw, turn around so they can see. You. Just throw one up in the air. And that's now, this is our focus. This is the will of God. This is what God is calling us to do. But the will of God is not stable. It's always moving. We always have to keep our eye on it. So go ahead and just go ahead and throw that up. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Now, can you do two? Like, you know, just like this. Do two. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Keep going. Oh, he's good, isn't he? He's really good. Oh, man. Now, this is an example of what it means to focus. You see, this is where all your blessing right here. As long as you keep this together, your life will be blessed. But as soon as you start watching this and watching that and complaining about this and complaining about that and giving this more of your prayer energy than you give that, that's when you're going to lose your focus and your strength but when you keep your eyes and your mind and your energy and your strength and your focus and your resolve and your commitment and your dedication and your sacrifice and your knowledge and your speech focused on what God has assigned to you you will be can I help somebody in the house you will be then blessed indeed in the city and you'll Will be there. Blessed indeed in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb. Blessed shall be your coming out and your going in because of your focus. Thank you, Wayne. Appreciate it. I can't even hold up. Standing still. All right. So, distractions. Amen. Are an enemy to your faith. And so, One of your most powerful resources in connecting with God is your prayer life. But many times, it's not that we're incapable of praying. It's not that we don't have the words to say. Not that we we don't have the know-how. But many times, we don't pray. Because we are too distracted. I wish I had some help. Yeah. One of your most powerful resources is the word of God. It's not that you don't know how to read. It's not that you don't know what the words mean. But the reason we don't read the Bible is because we are too distracted. And so an enemy of faith are distractions because... They cause us to take our eyes off Jesus. Now, finally, you want, this is on your worksheet, you want to engage in order to exercise your faith. In other words, you want to get involved, you want to serve, you want to use your gifts, you want to do what God has called you to do in order to use the faith that God has given to you. To excel in faith, listen to me now, means to intentionally, somebody say intentionally, put ourselves in situations where we do not know or we do not have control of the outcomes. You can't walk by faith and knowledge at the same time. To to walk by faith means to intentionally put yourself in a situation where you don't have control of the outcomes. There's a verse in the Bible that appears more times and more sections than any other verse. And it's this verse. The just shall live by faith. This means that in order to get the most out of our lives and to please God and to bless others, we must learn to believe in the power of faith by intentionally offering ourselves where the results are not guaranteed. Particularly there is no guarantee of an earthly reward. Let me see if I can illustrate this. If you you show the pictures On the screens, we have a few pictures I want you to look at on our screens. First one, it says, if you are unemployed and need an outfit clean for an interview, we will clean it. For free. You can't offer that if you're concerned about how many people will lie. Because some folk will say, well, I'm unemployed during lunch hour. Right? You cannot be concerned about the outcome if you're going to walk by faith. Second one. During business hours, the books on the porch are 50 cents each or five for $2. This is a business person here. When the store is closed, please feel free to borrow them or keep them or pay me later anytime. If you don't have money to buy books or need or want to read, help yourself. How many people with money who can afford to buy the book would walk to the book stand and get the book because the proprietor is extending that gratuity to someone who is optionless? Many people. We'll do it. But you cannot be generous. Never can you be generous if you're always concerned about the outcome. What's the next one? Free meal for the homeless every Friday from three to five. A whole lot of folk with houses from three to five o'clock, they say, man, listen, man, we can go down here and get us a a BLT at Subway. Am I right? Many people will lie and cheat because somebody is offering something free to a category of people that they don't qualify for. And so, if you want to be generous, you cannot just be concerned about what's going to happen If I give, what stops people from giving in church so often is that we have an ultimate concern on the destination of our dollar. Where shall it land? Who will it bless? Who's going to benefit? But what I'm seeing in these pictures is somebody is willing to give and take a risk that it might just not land in the right place. But that has nothing to do with me. Yeah. Let's see, there's one more. There's one more. Oh, now this is something. It says, during a protest in Brazil, a general said, he's there to keep control. Rest people who are not supposed to be out there and all this. The general said, do not fight. Please, not on my birthday. Then a group of protesters made a surprise for him. Next slide. Well, they baked him the cake and look at the general. He's there to arrest the protesters, keep them in order, and one of the protesters decided, well, let's take a break. And they baked a the cake. They gave something to the person who's trying to stop them from stating their case. And Who knows? The guy could have taken the cake, put it aside, still arrested them. They knew not the outcome, but they didn't, did, didn't do it based on knowledge. They did it based on faith. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, he did it with no guarantee that anyone would accept his death as a payment for their sins. He did it with no certainty that either you nor I we believe on him as savior. He did it with no assurance that we would repent and turn to him. But you can never be generous. Never. You can give some things, but you can never be a generous person until you grow to the point that you can give without a guarantee. That's what Jesus did for us. And it turned out pretty well, didn't it? Yeah, it turned out pretty well. You think about it, that all, many of us in here, our lives have been transformed because someone, Jesus Christ, gave in faith, trusting, trusting God, trusting that what he gave would have value, not just for him, but for those that he had never seen. And that's what faith is all about. Let's stand to our feet.